1935, science fiction writer Stanley Weinbaum released a short story called Pygmalion's Spectacles. In the story, the protagonist, Dan Burke, meets a professor who has magic glasses that, when worn, produce a movie that gives one sight and sound, taste, smell and touch. You are in the story, and instead of being on a screen, the story is all about you, and you are in it. While virtual reality in the modern world hasn't managed to incorporate taste, smell and touch, Pygmalion Spectacles, the earliest literary reference to VR, did predict, or perhaps influence, a pair of goggles being worn to enter a virtual world, and for that world to focus on entertainment. Over the last five years, over 51 million VR headsets have been sold worldwide. VR headset sales have generated over $9 billion in 2023, up from $3.4 billion in 2020. And so far, VR has been dominated by gaming. 72% of VR headset owners say they use it for gaming, and 63% say they use it to watch movies. Meta's Quest is by far the most popular VR headset on the market. It's marketed as a VR game console, and its retail price is comparable to a PlayStation or Xbox. But the future of VR is one not just of gaming. It's about changing how everyone interacts with the digital world, both for fun and in their professional life. Everything from entertainment, healthcare, education and engineering is seeing VR becoming more and more commonplace and it's already changing the way we work, learn, and collaborate. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. In this episode, we've partnered with Atkins Realis to explore the world of virtual reality and the impact it's having on engineering. Back in June of this year, Apple announced the launch of their first new product since 2015. So today, I'm excited to announce an entirely new AR platform with a revolutionary new product. However, what Apple calls the Vision Pro is expected to cost £3,500 when it is released next year. Not exactly a device aimed at a casual gamer. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. Vision Pro is a new kind of computer that augments reality by seamlessly blending the real world with the digital world. Apple's Vision Pro is not here to replace your Xbox. It's here to replace your workstation. The big tech companies believe virtual and augmented reality are the future. Not just of entertainment, but also of work. And some people are already living in that future. VR today is primarily reserved to consumers. Anytime a, a product price point drops below a certain threshold, the consumer gets a hold of it. And that's, for me personally, that's where technologies explode. Cell phones is a great example. Back in the day, you know, it was a brick that you had to carry around you. It wasn't very accessible. 
And the more accessible a technology becomes, the easier it is to use. At the moment today, I would say that VR model reviews are still too challenging to easily get people engaged where I don't have to go through a certain level of training or understanding of that technology to be able to use it. My name's Johan. Uh, if you can pronounce my last name, I'll give you 10 bucks. No, I'm joking. Um, my name's Johan Germershays. Johan is the Director of Digital Solutions at Atkins Realis. We spoke with Johan for episode 185 about Canada Line's digital twin. I see all projects personally as just an expression of data. If you think about any project, it's a it's a coordination of various pieces of information that everybody needs. Somebody needs something at, at various points in time, but we can't just easily interact with data. It's not very tangible. So all of the tools that we use is really a way for us to be able to visualize and express that data, whether it's a 3D model, a drawing that's used in construction, or a VR model review, or somebody using augmented reality glasses or iPads at site to be able to realize what that information is used for at the end of the day. So that's what I do. During the pandemic, Johan was looking for ways for people across the world to meet and go through a design review of a train station they were working on. To Johan, VR was the obvious solution. Personally, I find it I've been using VR for, for a while. The moment that you put a headset on and you can physically see something one-to-one -one scale, it just, it just changes the way that you look at the design. But most people aren't familiar with VR, and getting everyone set up for the first time with a headset via a Zoom call would be difficult. So we were looking for solutions that allowed people both with a headset and without a headset to be able to engage with their model. So he turned to Iris VR, a software platform designed for the building industry. So in terms of hardware, the software can run both on a desktop, laptop, on the headset, on the headset standalone if it's a small enough model. So it made it really accessible because you just had to share a code with somebody else and they could engage with the environment. They still needed a reasonable workstation to be able to use it. Working in Iris VR, Johan was able to set up a meeting of stakeholders to review a model of the station in VR, some using headsets, some using their desktops, in under 10 minutes. Walking through the station model in virtual reality allowed the team to catch mistakes and make design improvements they might have otherwise missed. So we were at this model, there was a staircase uh, that led to a door that went into a, um, a stairwell. And um, as we were work walking past, we saw that the grade was sloped further down than what people were expecting it to be. And they checked the rise on the, the platform to go into the stairwell. And immediately somebody said, that doesn't look right. That, that's too high. We, we likely need handrails. And we could easily do the measurement and we identified immediately we needed handrails to be able to keep this area safe. So that was almost immediately spotted. And that went through quite a number of design iterations. Nobody picked it up. Another great example, so imagine going into the stairwell 
and you walk up to the first uh, set of stairs and you can't go up any further and the reason why is because we were hitting our heads against the the concrete that was above our heads so as we walked in somebody couldn't walk any further and they're like what's wrong with this the software and what they realized it wasn't anything wrong with the software it was just that uh, they were actually hitting their heads moving around and interacting with a 3d space albeit a virtual 3d space allows you to understand it much more instinctively than when it's on a 2d screen the Iris VR software also allowed them to highlight and mark out important signage to ensure it was positioned prominently enough. So a great example of what we did, we made the entire model gray. So picture everything's a shade of gray, um, but all the signage we made bright yellow or bright orange. And the purpose was we would take a tour through the, the station or the, the model and at various critical points, picture you going down a staircase and there's a sign halfway down the staircase. That's really hard to see it. You, you, you can't go all the way to the staircase before you see the sign. You'd rather want to bring it up further on the stairwell um, to be able to see actually what the sign is telling you before you get so close that you're in somebody else's way. When you were going around the corner, um, a sign would be just past the corner, for example. And again, in VR, it's really, it's very easy to see it. You, you almost immediately pick it up. The traditional way of doing it is you take models of people and um, you put that person in, you know, 20, 30 different places to show whether you've got access or whether multiple individuals can go into a, into a tight space. Or if you've got a tight space, how many people can operate it. But when you're standing there in VR and you can literally just turn around, look behind you, and, and you can literally see your elbow hit something. Despite the success of touring the model in Iris VR and the multiple design iterations that may have been saved, using the technology was not totally plain sailing. Firstly, and surprisingly, most people didn't own a VR headset. The challenge is still, I've got a laptop, I have to plug in a VR headset, I have to make sure that it's all working and connected. I have to open up the software in a certain order. There's challenges with certain headsets and things like that, that an individual is not really equipped to always troubleshoot by themselves. The challenge was though, most people use the desktop way of doing it. And if you had a large model and you were trying to look at it through the headset itself, you had to have a really powerful machine or you couldn't use it at all. And that's a barrier that you don't really want to see. You want to be able to take your model, put it somewhere, and be able to look at the whole thing and walk through the whole thing without any interruption. Another issue is rendering a complex model in VR in real time. It's absolutely been a limiting factor, not just in VR. I mean, I would argue this is a limiting factor on every platform. In the web, this has been a challenge. On desktop, this has been a challenge. Gabe Pyers was the CEO and founder of The Wild, a VR platform that in 2021 acquired Iris VR. Everyone struggles with this to a different degree. Whether you're building Revit or you're building all of our, our platform in the, in the browser, our large model viewer, or you're working in VR. Now it's, it's almost exponentially harder because we have to render the environment at at least 72 frames per second. 
versus like in browser where you can sort of selectively <laughs> render frames or or even in most of our other desktop tools. So the the necessity for real time is is much higher. In 2022, the software company Autodesk acquired The Wild and Iris VR. Gabe moved over to become head of product for XR at Autodesk, and he and his team set about making a newer, better version of their VR software. It was basically the launching point for Autodesk's XR journey. We created the XR team within Autodesk and now spent the last year and a half working on what the, what the next stage would be, what the next step for our XR journey would look like. We just last week announced a new product called Workshop XR, which is the evolution of both the Wild and Prospect, tightly integrated with the Autodesk platform. XR means extended reality and is a slightly broader term that encompasses virtual reality. Yeah, so quite simply, this is a spectrum of virtualization, which maybe that's not so simple now that I say it, but um, a spectrum of virtualization saying you have totally virtual content on one side and then you've got the physical world on the other. In the physical world, we understand it's very, you know, hard and or not abstract in any way to us. And then you've got total virtual content and really the internet is a pure form of this on the other extreme end of the spectrum. It's not connected at all to the physical environment that we're inside of. We've tried over the years to try to name different positions on this spectrum. And we call that virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. There are many different and branded and unbranded ways to talk about these positions on the spectrum. I think this was really important in, in like the early 2010s well, really anything before maybe like 2020, this was pretty important because we had hardware that was really very specifically targeted at these different points. Now that we're into the 2020s, we're seeing more and more what we talked about happening even earlier, which is a convergence where devices are, are capable of having a mixed reality mode, a virtual reality mode, an augmented reality, and, and really having this this spectrum of connection to the physical world or physical environment that you're you're physically inside of and this is really the promise of xr and really looking at this spectrum of technologies is xr extended reality it's saying that we are creating a platform which is capable of either being connected or de disconnected from the physical room that you're inside of based on what you want not like choosing a specific hardware. Autodesk's first goal was simply to improve and simplify the user experience when it came to joining XR Workshop. The first one is maybe the most basic, which is a lot of people don't have headsets. <laughs> so, so when you're deploying a new app and especially a collaboration app, how are we able to collaborate with people who just don't have a headset? And this is where a Windows application comes in. Workshop XR has, uh, our Windows app isn't currently in beta, but allows people on desktop to join in and still speak and speak to people inside of that space, review content inside of that space without actually ever having to put on a headset. 
But then there's the next step, which is like, how hard is it to get into VR when you do have a headset? And this is something with Workshop XR that we've really tried to make just foundationally better by making, by essentially reducing the friction of what it means to join inside of a workshop together from our earlier applications like the Wild and Prospect. So one we, way we can do this is by just streamlining the process of getting from like an invite that you get to join inside of one of these spaces uh, via your computer or your email, and then directly launching that on, on the headset. So you get the invite, you click on the invite, and then you put that headset on and automatically you're inside of that workshop without having to like fumble around and find the app, find the, find the workshop, go through menus and so on. So this sort of improvement about just your time to getting into that experience is something that we're working really hard on to make it as, as quick and efficient as possible. Once inside Workshop XR, pulling up various 2D documents as well as rendering a full 3D model is far quicker and smoother than it was in previous iterations. We're working really hard on this with Workshop XR. We're at a, a point now which we're excited about, but we've got a lot longer, a lot farther that we can and will go in the coming months and years to bring this to a level that's going to be extraordinary in terms of our ability to just experience a lot of content accurately with precision and potentially uh, fidelity as well on these mobile standalone devices. The way they have been able to deliver a smoother experience is by utilizing cloud processing. If we hold ourselves to a higher standard of saying, we want to be able to experience this content in a way that is cloud enabled and streamed and delivered. That's how we're able to make this happen through like, through better usage of cloud storage and cloud delivery and streaming. But in a way that the benefit of, do, of that is that you can access it on anything from a mobile standalone VR headset to a mobile phone, to browser on a lower powered device, to a desk, you know, a giant workstation and have a similar experience on all of those. So that's, that's a big part of what we're working on. Gabe says that the experience of seeing a model in XR is not just beneficial for those with little experience looking at BIM designs. He says even those with decades of experience of reading plans find VR much more intuitive. It is definitely preferable to be inside of the building in the final phase of it once it's actually built, you have an understanding of that space through the experience of the space that you just don't have when you're looking at plans. This is obvious for like clients, the clients of our clients where generally they're not adept in reading plans. And so it, it really helps them to understand a space by being inside of it. But I would argue even for people who absolutely have been looking at plans their entire career and they understand what like, exactly what five feet on a plan feels like in in real life even for them there is a familiarity that comes from being inside of that space and just moving around it and living inside of it that you get when you're actually doing design reviews in in vr in a headset that it's just not possible to get when you're trying to either imagine it in your head or you are looking at a fixed point of view in 2D form. And 
the value that's being created there, that familiarity, the experience of being in a space, the the value, the fundamental value there is that you see things, you you understand things that you wouldn't otherwise understand. And this is the, this is really the value we can create by immersing you inside of that BIM model in a headset rather than just looking at it on a screen. This is the main benefit Gabe sees, accessibility. More stakeholders can see and understand plans in VR than can understand and visualize complex building plans. When you make the, the content, the data more accessible, you are lowering risk because more eyes on a project is able is is going to just have a better outcome of essentially making sure that every one of those eyes isn't missing something that is potentially going to be captured by another person who's seeing it in a different way or understands uh, what is being built in in a way that diverges in a useful way the second main benefit gabe sees is time saving if viewing a position or a view of a model takes well definitely if, if you're rendering it for minutes or hours that that that's just waiting time that's like you sitting at your workstation waiting to see what you want to see and we should hold ourselves to a standard of being able to view and review in real time and not waiting whether even even when you switch a view whether it's you know seconds you're waiting for five seconds that adds up over this course of like working through a giant project we want to make that milliseconds versus like five seconds that you're waiting repeatedly over the course of the day as you're exploring a model but definitely with like long render times that that translation is just time consuming so the value of just making everything faster and more real time is is quite simply that you're not waiting and you can just make your working process your review process more efficient time efficient it's not just rendering models faster and saving lots of little chunks of time vr has the capability to stop major errors causing long delays further down the line i'll give you an example of how that would work Imagine a, a facility that has very small openings or doors in it um, because, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, that's, that's how they built it. They built it so that you can't take it apart. That was never the intention. So when you try and work on a brownfield type of project like that, you have some really unique challenges. Number one, how do you get things out? Challenge number one. So you can disassemble it and and demolish it to some degree, but a certain part of the facility still needs to stay intact. But then afterwards, how do you get things in? Is the next challenge. Let's say I had a large piece of equipment or pipe that I needed to get into a two by two door, a regular door like what we have in our homes. How do we go about doing that as, as cost-effective and as efficient as possible? So we used VR to simulate taking large pieces of equipment or ducts or, or trays or other things through this facility, despite doing it the, the traditional way. The traditional way said, move it a little bit, check it, move it a little bit, check it, which would have taken months to do. Doing it in VR, it was so much simpler, but it also highlighted the problem so much quicker because I could see, oh, there's no way that this thing's gonna fit in like this. I have to rotate it, move it, shift it, do these types of things for it to be able to fit in. 
And uh, the outcome was we saved three months of the project and millions of dollars in savings because we were able to practice it before it even happened in the real world. That being said, when it actually happened in the real world, people were still skeptical. Um, they all congregated around this monstrous uh, piece of equipment that needed to go into this facility, but uh, it, it proved itself out. Gaming might currently dominate the VR market, and it may continue to do so. But it's clear that for many industries, including engineering, VR's use is going to continue to grow. Of course, there's value in gaming. People have seen that in VR for a long time, but that's the low-hanging fruit here. In the business use cases, we've, we've definitely seen a tremendous amount of value for the building industry. And when you just look at product market fit of like the building industry and the value that we can create with a VR headset. And this, I mean, product market fit across products, not just with Workshop mm -hmm. XR or the Wild or so forth. So, and the reason there is that we, we definitely have evidence that the problem that we can solve for AEC with putting you in a headset inside of that model is a problem that it's, it's just very difficult, if not impossible to solve in any other way, because you can't prototype a whole building. It, you, I mean, you can try to prototype a building, a parts of that building physically. And we see this happen, you know, with lean architecture all the time where you're going out and you're prototyping different components, but that's doing that physically is, is both expensive and time consuming. It's slow. What we can do in, in XR is just foundationally faster, more efficient, lower cost, easier to ideate and so on. And that product market fit of that like problem and the value that we can create is proven and has been proven for years. I mean, that's why my companies have been so successful is because even in the early days of VR, when the headsets were super clunky and you had to configure it for a long time, people were still doing it because they were getting a lot of value from it. VR has already been proven its use case for the last five years in engineering. But what about the future? Are we moving into a VR-dominated world? What made the computer so embedded in all of our lives over the last 20, 30 years? Every person has a personal computer in their house. 30 years ago, you went to university, a handful of people used a PC because there was a computer lab and there were only 20 of them and only a certain number of people could use it. Now, my 13-year-old son has got a Chromebook because it's a requirement in his primary school. I think VR will evolve. If you look at the latest headsets that are out there, they're already pursuing mixed reality applications where it's not, I'm isolated from the world, but it's, I can engage with the world uh, with full color cameras. I personally think that that mixed reality will be the future, not VR by itself. They're very complementary. Like I said, headsets are already doing that. And similar to what we, we said uh, earlier, if I can get a headset that's a pair of glasses that anybody can use without having a set of controllers that constrains my usage of it, and I can have the widest adoption possible, then everybody would start getting comfortable with it and, and be able to use it. What we see is this next step. Well, 
this is where like what it's not just Apple, it's Meta, it's HEC. I mean, a lot of the providers are going with this next generation of headsets is going to be super interesting because, well, let's look at the high end of this with the Apple Vision Pro. The price point is high, but also the quality is extremely high. They're saying like, what is a super premium version of a VR headset? And how does that apply to both consumer and professional use cases? Well, it'll be interesting to see what the market says about this. I mean, it is expensive by one metric, but maybe not by another metric. When you're looking at like the high-end workstations that in AC we buy, $3,500 is on par with a high-end. I, I mean, there are a lot of workstations that we use that are even more than that, a lot more. So um, if you're looking at it as an all-in-one device, which is truly a desktop replacement, this is actually a value device in some ways. Um, now they have to deliver on the promise of that, which is that it's truly capable of replacing your workstation. And if people end up seeing it that way, I think that there could be a market for this product at this price point. But beyond the hardware itself, VR software in combination with AI might open up many new doors for the design and review process and could completely change the way people work. The more interesting thing to me is actually the um, sibling technologies that are going to together rise with XR and make, I think there's going to be a mutual success that will happen on, on a lot of these technologies. The one that's really at the forefront here, in, in my view, is AI. I think right now, largely, we see AI as being delivered through these chat interfaces, and that's that's because of the success of chat GPT. And this is like the first stage for large language models. But that is not the best interface for a large language model. Imagine, and we're starting to see this already emerge out of AI, how easy it will be and how powerful it will be when not only is it controllable via, via voice, just me standing here speaking, but where it can action my, my visual and, and computing experience via an output. And this is where XR comes into, into view. There is no better interface for AI than XR, hands down. It is the most human-friendly way to experience digital content in XR. And AI is going to be the backbone of how we experience XR in the future, both via user experience and via technology that, that powers it and you know makes our streaming better and all of these things. So this to me is a big thing that I people should not miss, which is how not only XR is dependent on AI to really realize its full potential, but where AI is really dependent on XR to realize its full potential. It's possible that not that far in the future, VR could be the bedrock technology of the working world. And not just reviewing designs, but speaking them into existence with the help of AI. And querying them. So pulling up, I have a saying, take me to um, the, the last scan of like this job I did 
in 2020. I want to see where it is today. And we're going to look at like how to improve the basement level four, like this conduit on basement level four, whatever, right? And just being able to be that specific and pull up and experience the scan in real time. And it's like a huge thing that you're scanning through all that data and then delivering it to a standalone experience that you're spatially aware of and controlling. And you can say, show me four different versions of how we can make this HVAC unit more efficient. Boom, 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 it generating those. And then the human the the is put more into the position of being a conductor, being a, a, just a dynamic strategic thinker about what needs to be done here. But all of the busy work that we do today where we're like scanning through file systems and we are like, you know, pulling or changing BIM data, like specifically, or pulling like polygons across the screen. Like this is all busy work that will feel very antiquated and, and like cute five to 10 years from now. If you look at in the scope of like life on this planet, and what we've experienced in our lifetimes is astonishing unreal yep it is amazing and you think now you look at the scope of what we will see a thousand years or even a million years from now which is a speck of time in the scope of everything and it is it's truly humbling to see what we are a part of right now and how exciting like what a privilege that is for us to be a part of this because we sit here and we're like, oh, five years from now, like we're in pain. We said this would happen five years ago and it hasn't happened yet. It's like, no, um, things take time, but still we're moving at a pace right now that is is truly unreal. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by me, Johnny Dowling, and hosted by me and Rian Owen. Editing and series supervision by John Young, and sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the man who brings us all together and helps us collaborate effectively is Rory Harris. Thanks to our partner for this episode, Atkins Realis, and thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.